0: it turns out that your body has got an opinion your head hasn't been asking your body for its opinion for a while right but if you were to say to people i do this thing called human compass like i say, imagine there's a question and the answer is somewhere in the world just close your eyes and rotate as you stand just gently and if you're listening to your body like a safe breaker will listen to a you know in the movies you hear them listening to the drums of the the click the same is true that your body will go there, not there, no there, there, move there. We find that odd, but of course our ancestors navigated the world that way. They didn't. Ju- they didn't just use their eyes or even their, you know their their primary senses. They also felt. They used their instinct, their heart, their soul, in order to navigate quite complicated, quite hostile landscapes. And that's a little bit what you're reawakening when we go more into this flaneurse
1: state. Hello, and welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast, where you'll hear conversations that generate one aha moment after another for you. There is an enormous wave of goodness and progress well underway in the world that almost no one knows enough about yet. It is so well hidden by the negative noise in our media landscape that I'm calling this goodness a conspiracy of goodness. And if you're listening to this podcast, you are probably here because you're part of this wave. You're probably doing some remarkably important things in your own circles as a giver, a doer, or a helper. And the guests on this podcast will give you inspiration, joy, fresh ideas, and how to continue this role that you have in your circles. It is still an amazing world, and we're here to introduce you to some of the people making it that way. Every week, no matter the topic, we're going to take you on a little journey with people who will give you pearls for your own. And every day, you can see more and more of what's right with the world. So welcome. I'm Dr. Linda Ulrich, founder of the Mothership of this podcast at a website called The Goodness Exchange, where you can have instant access to good news, stuff that should be covered in the news media, um, without politics and without ads. So there we're focusing on what's right with the world. And the purpose of this podcast and The Goodness Exchange is to put a spring in your step again every single day. And we're going to get to that right now with a wonderful guest David Pearl. David is an author, a speaker, and um, a, a business innovator. He is the founder of an amazing organization called Street Wisdom. It's an international sort of social venture that is helping tens of thousands of people in over 80 countries turn off the tendency towards being on autopilot and turn on to a world of wonder and see the world with fresh eyes. Street Wisdom is a movement. It's a, it's a nonprofit that's available to everyone around the globe. Um, and it helps people, um, with, well, first of all, it's run by a lot of volunteers and it helps people from all kinds of major streaming platforms, um, find peace of mind, more clarity, um, help see the world through eyes that are full of possibility. So uh, just to give you a little bit of background about David Pearl's journey, it's been a circuitous one. David Pearl was a boy soloist with the Royal Opera when he was nine years old. He sang with Placido Domingo. He was eventually a, a world touring orchestral player, and in 1994, something switched. He got asked by one of the, uh, a large uh, corporate leader to bring his powers of creativity to solve some of their biggest problems. And since then, he's been on a journey to help us all see the world with fresh eyes, using creativity and wonder and, you know, extraordinarily new ways of considering what we can do new and different. So he's got three books, lovely. One is just the most fabulous uh, <laughs> Uh, title for a book I could imagine. It's called, Will There Be Donuts? And um, it was among the top, uh, the top uh, summer reads in 2013. Then there's a book called The Story for, Leaders, Story for Leaders. And that's about how extraordinary, the extraordinary power of storytelling, which is a topic all on its own that I can't wait to dive into. And we will hear a little bit. And its most recent book is called Wonderful. That's with an A. Wonderful. Uh, human navigation for a complex world. Ah, these are some topics that we can all take flight from these days. David, welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast.
0: Oh, thank you, Linda. I'm just basking in the warmth of your welcome and just wish I could get my wife in here to say, you see, you see, some someone raped me. Um, no, that's wonderful. You're very generous. It's great to be here. Looking forward to this.
1: Well, I tell you, um we wrote an article about your work um in uh, about 2 years ago and I'm g- we're going to make sure that people have access to that article cuz it really gives a lot of detail, a beautiful fun fun video in it as well uh, about street wisdom. And um, so right off, I need to say that almost anything that David and I refer to will be in the show notes. So if you go to the Goodness Exchange to listen to this podcast episode or watch it, we do it both in video and audio, you will have access to an even wider landscape of David's work and resources about what to do next. So I'll start right off by, by telling people that. So David... You know, where does this come from? When, when did you decide that wandering around our cities or our, our our spaces, right outside our front door, was a place to to get some experiential learning? How do we get here?
0: Well, it's a great question, and it's so easy to sort of post-rationalize and say, "Yes, I decided this," and but I think, like a lot of uh, a lot of life, it it. I'm not sure if the idea came from me or through me, if you like. Um, I often say I didn't found street wisdom, it found me. But so there was an emergent quality to it. But I guess, I, I, in fact, in the book, I try and trace back where it came from. And there were certain some experiences when I was a kid, which I had on the streets, some good and some not good. My, I sadly saw my brother hit by a car, he's fine now, but it was a traumatic experience. But it also taught me that what the parents call reality isn't as real as they think it could be upended in a in a moment and if it can be upended it could also be righted in a moment so i've always it kind of shook in probably quite a helpful way i wish it hadn't happened but given that it did happen it kind of made me think that there were things to learn out there in the you know, in the world that that probably weren't being taught in school but i think i think the probably the the um, the real catalyst was being lost you know that i don't know about it's the same with if it's the same for you um linda but i i i think it's very human quality that you 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 learn what you need to learn and then you teach it <laughs> sort of, i think i am most of what i've putting out in the world is stuff i've fallen over pick myself up and go oh maybe somebody else could you know i could learn from that so it's you know i i, I like to think i've got you know i i, I Certainly not a master, but but I think I've got the enthusiasm of a of a student, and um, I was lost. Uh, I was searching around, and I had been told. I mean, it was fine on the surface, but like a lot of people possibly listening to the podcast, there's a sense of feeling disorientated in the world that that we're in, or not not knowing how to steer through. There didn't seem to be any any. Clear direction coming from outside, and I had what that feeling of like, David, you better steer this ship yourself. And I remembered something that had been told to me in a quite esoteric setting. I've done, I've done lots of courses. I'm a real course junkie and I've been all over the world. I've hugged trees, I've I've done shamanic work, I've spoken to oracles, and I love it. And Something had been said to me years before at a place called Damanhur. Um, Some of your listeners might know it's a it's a it's a spiritual esoteric but also very practical community in the north of Italy. I'm speaking to you from the north of Italy now, but it's a little bit further north. And I'd, I'd taken part in a in a wonderful ritual there, and I'd asked a question, like you know, wh- what shall I do with this life? And I part of the answer had the sentence walk in circles in public places. And I had thought that was some metaphor. And Years later, I suddenly thought, maybe it isn't a metaphor, maybe it's an instruction. So I thought, well, I'll try it. And I went to uh, Leicester Square, if you know Leicester Square, it's a very busy square in the centre of London. And I started doing this, I started working, walking in a big circle. And I realized I was kind of copping out. I wasn't really... Because if you walk in a huge circle, no one knows you're walking in a circle. So I started to tighten the circle. And as I started to tighten the circle, two things happened. One is I became incredibly self-conscious. Because if you saw somebody walking in a circle in a public street, you'd go... You would you know, you'd give them... It's a definition of folly, walking in a circle, right? But I, I, noticed, I noticed two things. One is that I was feeling very uh, con- uncomfortable about that and that the rule thou shalt not walk in a circle was in my head no one else's and the other thing is I needed to bother because no one could see me because I looked into people's eyes and they weren't looking they were thinking so they were on the street and I suddenly thought I'm surrounded by people who aren't actually looking they're just worried a lot of them were on iPhones and basically you, it's something that I noticed in the opera opera world is is we have a thing called snake eyes, which is when the tenor usually is supposed to be looking lovingly at Linda the soprano, but in fact is looking inwards going, oh, oh, there's a high note coming and it's just worry. So your eyes are kind of glazed. And it's the look, if you look around when you're on the street, you'll see people and no, no disrespect to people, but people aren't looking, they're thinking. They're not seeing, they're, they're thinking. And so I realized that the pop, two things, That the street could be a wonderful place to explore development and one's own limits and how one limits oneself. But also that as busy as the street is, in a funny way, it's a private space because people are not seeing what's out there. Some people do. Um, the police do, the police are looking, often, and also panhandlers or people, or people who, who, are, who don't have homes and, and have forced to live on the streets, they watch. Um, so it was a very, I mean, there was a lot to it, but that was, I think, the moment when I thought, this, the things that we call streets and hurry through on our way to our next task are actually rich uh, territories for exploration. I wasn't the first, by any means, of course, to do this. Anyone that knows the flâneur movement, which which arose in Paris in the in the late nineteenth century, when of course they they electrified the streets of Paris, they put electric light, and so you know Paris became the city of light, and it meant that at night, where previously it was just too dangerous often to go out without a you know burly manservant with you. Everyone could go out in the streets now. And, and a group of poets led by Baudelaire and Apollinaire started using the streets as places to dive into the crowd and disappear and have uh, the kind of artistic revelations that previously they would have expected in a forest or in, in nature. And they were the first, I think, to explore in a, in a real way the the quite magical and um spiritual potential of the urban urban landscape, so there's there's more we could talk about, but that was a long answer to it to your question. I hope that was helpful
1: well, I love uh, the first question I was going to ask you was what is what what about the practical business of being a flaneur in your own circles a flaneur is not a word that I don't think I don't think most Americans would know what that word is I didn't know what it was when you said it. What, what, what about this practical business of being a flaneur? And first of all, tell us what a flaneur is.
0: Yeah, I mean, a flaneur is a character that uh, grew up um, and it was often gently mocked, but he was or she was um, a stranger who would stand in a crowd and observe. And they would uh, often they were making notes and stuff, but they would, their art was the art of social observation. And the flaneur was somebody who could be at home anywhere, um, always observing, always recording, enjoying the the, the the everydayness in some ways of life. And I think that there's a there's a real clue there to a, an art that I like to cultivate, and it's something that anyone who does street wisdom can experience. Which is, you know, it's easy to say that magic is all around and. Um, you, said, you said a beautiful thing in your introduction about you know, cultivating to see w- more of what's right with the world. But, but, but how do you do that? And um, what we do in Street Wisdom is we, we, you know, we, we have a few very simple exercises to help people become, if you like, a bit more flaneur-like. One of them, of course, is slowing down which sounds easy, but you try slowing down, slow your pace, slow your breathing, slow, we like to say, slow the speed at which your hair is growing, slow everything down. In other words, Linda decides to slow down her metronome, but what if you're doing it as we have in rush hour traffic in Manhattan? What you're doing when you slow down is you're violating the social norm, which is, let's get it going we there's a certain tempo to the street and if you're in new york or london it's fast so in the slowing down it's not just slowing your neurology down and the good things that we know about mindfulness there's also a a a willingness to break or remake the social rules in your way yeah another thing we do is is increase our awareness and that's important because for many of us it's our eyes but have become the thing that is our main uh, our main sort of system of awareness but actually there are smells there are sounds there's all of that stuff that you start notice as you slow down and the other the other final thing is to awaken it sounds quite highfalutin but basically awaken your physical intelligence I'm sure you've spoken much on your podcast about this but uh, for one reason or another We've started to think over the last decades, century or so, that our intelligence resides in our head, in our cranium. And of course it isn't. It's distributed throughout the body and the body's wise. And awakening the body's wisdom and getting it to navigate. not uh, We we put it this way, let your feet take your head for a walk. And anyone can do that right now. You could just stand up. And instead of deciding to go with your eyes tell you to go, you could just ask a question and and rest, and let your feet turn you in the direction that your feet think the answer might lie. It's like a game as a kid, it's like a treasure hunt. And it turns out that your body's got an opinion. Your head hasn't been asking your body for its opinion for a while, right? But if you were to say to people, "I do this thing called human compass," like I say, imagine there's a question, and the answer is somewhere in the world. Just close your eyes and rotate as you stand, just gently. And if you're listening to your body, like a safe breaker will listen to a, you know, in the movies you hear them listening to the drums of the the click. The same is true that your body will go there, not there, no, there, there, move there. We find that odd, but of course, our ancestors navigated the world that way. They They didn't just use their eyes. Or even their, you know, their their primary senses. They also felt. They use their instinct, their heart, their soul, in order to navigate quite complicated, quite hostile landscapes. And that's a little bit what you're reawakening when we go more into this flanner state.
1: The wonder there is <laughs> just now. Now I'm filled with curiosity. So one of the things that you say is that knowing our body and our innate navigation we can just step outside our door like we don't have to go on wild vacations to experience the wonder and the and open up these parts of our brain that is asking better questions i mean this is something available to us all right well during the pandemic we probably had to do it indoors but tell us what we'll find when we go to the street wisdom website and how how the group groups work and how individuals tap in and all that. Just give us a super basic understanding of what street wisdom is.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, thank you. Thank you for asking. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 the beauty, I mean, like you, I think Linda, I love to go into complicated and uh, you know, intellectual curious corners, but what I've has been beautiful about street wisdom is the discipline of simplification and so, over many years, I wanted to create something which I have with my colleagues, which is so simple that it doesn't require any additional information or buy in. You just follow simple instructions and it works. And so, I say with pride that it's a quite simple process. It's in three parts there's a tune up where you tune up your senses, tune in really to the world around you. There's a quest which is a, a period where awoken with your with your senses awake, you go for a walk asking a question and it can be any question you like and you begin to record what you notice and it can be through any of your senses. it's a smell, it's a sound, it's a you'll get words on an advert or whatever it is. And then in the final section uh, you share, there's a thing called the sharing where you share whatever popped out at you, and how it might be an answer to your question. What you find on the website is, uh, um, you find uh, simple instructions about how to do the the, the experience, what I call a workshop, we call it a workshop, how to lead one. If you want, if Linda, you want to lead one with a few people uh, live, you can do that. And also if you want to hop on one online, and there are many online, you can also do that. Um, it will also direct you to Spotify and other places where you can download what's become very popular, which are audio guides, where I uh, take people through the stages of the um, workshop at their own speed, so they can listen to them. We've broken them into small chunks, so they're like little audio uh, tracks. And people seem to love them because they can put them on and listen to them do, do, do the street wisdom in their own way, at their own time, at their own speed. And uh, that was the intention that we could, where we started, we, we, when we started, we felt people all had to be together and it had to be live. But partly the pandemis, pandemic taught us that we can do it powerfully online. But also, over time, we discovered what's important. And the important, there are a few simple instructions. These are available on free Spotify downloads currently in English, but soon to be in multiple languages.
1: Nice, okay. So one of the things that um, that we talked about that I was kind of fascinated by is this practice that you, um, or a practice or a process, I'm not sure what you would call it, where um, I am you. Talk to us about that. About that. I, I think that you have some interesting <laughs> thoughts on that topic i am because i think
0: i must have been a strange child actually because it's some that's an exercise that i created for myself when i was a kid but um in addition just for clarity in addition so there's the basic if you like the fundamental street wisdom which is what i've just described there's a whole community of volunteers as you've described as, as you've mentioned who have sort of fallen in love with it taking it on and for them and i call them jokingly street wizards after street wisdom Um, And that doesn't mean it's just men, obviously. It's uh, gender non-specific. And for them, we've generated extra activities, extra. I think a practice is a good word, by the way, because I think that's what it is. This is creative practice. Um, And one of those practices is, as you mentioned, uh, IMU. So If anyone wanted to try this, the the idea about this is, and I think it's something that often happens when you do a street wisdom-like experience, which is you get a simultaneous sense of your uniqueness, but also of your connection with everyone in the crowd. Does that make sense? It's a simultaneously, I am very me, but also I'm very like everyone else. And what why I think that second thing is super helpful in our very individualistic age. I mean, everyone's walking around with their own playlist and own Facebook page and their likes and their followers and all that stuff. So, okay, fine. It's a feature of life. And certainly putting people at the center of their story, um, as we, just, we maybe talk more about story, has a, can have a powerful effect. But it also, we often feel cut off from other people. And so one of the exercises, I as I say, as a kid, it really more happened to me than me thinking about it. But essentially what you do is you, um, and be respectful when you're doing this, but you're walking along a street and you see someone like Linda walking along the other direction. And what I do is I imagine that I can jump out of my body and out of this fleshly vehicle and jump into the, with, res, with permission, Linda, I would jump into your body, as it were, and walk off in the opposite direction. And why that's both odd and fun, um, but why it's powerful, I think, is it reminds us that we are much more alike than different. And in many senses and in many esoteric traditions, they would say that we're, we're not really separate, we're just we're just fragments of the same divinity or same life force or whatever it is. And so I find that it 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 challenges our idea of what a stranger is. I think I talk in the book about, you know, the fear of the stranger and um, fear of the other. And there's a lot of othering going on in your country and in my country and around the world. And I think one of the things that is a helpful practice for us as people that perhaps want to diminish that fear, diminish that other is to do an exercise where you just remind your ego, which is after all, it's just the part of you that thinks it knows who you are, right? It's just, it thinks I know who David is and he finishes at his skin and and I'm gonna keep him safe. Uh, it's good to have an ego in many senses, but. Also, used to be to flex that ego to include other people, and I think an exercise like "I am you" is both it builds your spirit and 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 it's and it's humbling as well. And I think those two things are quite are quite helpful. And you know, it doesn't require anything more than just a a slightly mischievous spirit
1: and imagination.
0: With well, imagination, imagination is the.
1: <laughs> I think it's the hmm it's the thread of connection that we all have access to we can grab that thread and we can be pulled along by it right but you have yeah, to have your, your mind loosened up a bit <laughs> you know i love uh,
0: you know imagination do you mind if we just talk a bit about that you just sparked something for me because no, i think for me this year yeah this year I mean, imagination is a word we use all the time. And I, and I use this often, you don't think about it. But one of the things I think is amazing about imagination, and this relates to my work on story, is that we humans have an ability to see what isn't there. We can create an image in our minds of something that isn't there. And we assume that's easy, natural, normal, and everyone can do it. I think it's quite amazing uh, faculty um, Yuva Harari talks about this in in, um, Sapiens as being a kind of vital uh, sort of link in the evolutionary chain, a catalyst that, that, that powered our evolution as much as language standing on our hind legs and opposable thumbs. Because when human beings could see something that isn't there, you know, Linda could say, I see, oh, into the future. I see in the future and 400 miles away. I see a, a new settlement, a place we can be happy, a place where the streets are paved with gold or whatever she might say. Because she can picture it, I can picture it. And when we have a similar picture, as you say, we can align about a, what's now known you know, as vision and so on and so forth. And I think that's I think it's really important. And because we have that, we're very prone to and very suggestible to things like the media and so on that love to paint nightmarish images in our mind of what's around the corner. No one knows. No one knows what's around the corner, really. So there's a lot of guesswork and a lot of image-making. And I think that one of the things that um, we could be doing On this podcast and and elsewhere is exercising our imagination particularly so that we can see better futures and the reason i say that is because you can get criticized as being unrealistic i'm sure you've had this and impractical and and, uh, dreamer oh you're a dreamer Linda Ulrich Dr Ulrich you're a dreamer you're an idealist and what people are often arguing for is the bone-crushing, soul-destroying image that they say is more likely. But actually, the human race has got this incredible ability to see things better or worse. And I feel like we need to be exercising our imaginations, particularly to see better futures. Because put it this way, if we imagine better futures, there's no guarantee they're going to happen. But if we don't imagine them, there's a guarantee they won't, yes. because anyone who thinks that politicians or the church or I mean, no disrespect to religious institutions or science, but if anyone thinks the cavalry is coming to give you or me uh, a better image of the future, uh, we could wait a while. <laughs> I think we are the cavalry, Linda Ulrich. We are the cavalry, and we need to exercise. On a daily basis, the ability to see better ways, better ways of living, learning, loving, laughing, and so on and so forth, and that's underneath a lot of what runs through my work, both in street wisdom and story for leaders, and so on and so forth. Which is let it exercise that extraordinary, that extraordinary faculty of imagination that you just mentioned.
1: Yeah, you know, um, a thought leader said to me recently, you know, the future isn't something that just happens. We create it. We create it every day. Every day our tomorrow is what we we set up for yesterday. So I want to take a break, and when we come back, we'll talk more about street wisdom and the power of choice and authoring our future. Hey, Dr. Linda here. Did you know that a recent Harvard study found that exposure to just four minutes of good news each day will make you 32% less anxious and 18% more optimistic? Just four minutes. We've all got that much time to devote to our worldview and our sense of flourishing. Yes, if you make a habit of learning about just one piece of remarkably good news each day, you can be the one in your circles with fresh insights, ideas, and a sense of strength. Okay, so that takes care of the problem in our personal lives. But what about our work environments? We need to feel like we come alive there, that we, that we have meaning and purpose there. Well, enter the goodness exchange for business. For companies that want to create optimistic and values-driven work cultures, our content can give you a way to turn aspirational ideas like positivity, into a concrete way of being in the workplace in fact employee retention and attraction may depend on your company's ability to nurture a tone of innovation interesting collaborations and possibility and most importantly the goodness exchange can meaningfully elevate your company's wellness efforts and benefits packages because your work culture can be offering employees something new, peace of mind, and that sense of flourishing I mentioned before. Where employees' well-being isn't just a perk, it's the way we care about the individuals in our workplaces. So if you'd like to chat about infusing your culture with a tone of celebration about goodness and progress, we'd love to chat. Contact our CEO, Liesl. Her email address is info at goodnessexchange.com. Thanks. Okay. We're back with David Pearl founder of a, an amazing organization called street wisdom. And what we're talking about today is opening up our minds to get off autopilot and appreciate this, the, the strange and wonderful all around us just outside our door or in the room we're in. We just we just need to open up our minds. And Street Wisdom is a giant movement around the world that is giving people the tools and sort of fresh ideas on how to do that. So thank you uh, for joining us, David.
0: My huge pleasure.
1: So when we, uh, when we took a break, we were talking about authoring the future. And, you know, I, I don't know if this autopilot problem that we're on um, is at the heart of it. I'd be interested to hear how you think. But you talk about helping people make choose options that, that we're going to be really proud of. Talk to us about how opening up our mind, getting off autopilot helps us do that.
0: Yeah, I mean, that, that idea that, um, you know, the, the idea that the, the future, it really helps me anyway to think, what choices can I make? that the future we're, deserves, if you like. Because I think, you know, there's, there's many ways the future. There's an infinite number of possible futures. And maybe a way of, I've often wondered, what am I doing? How do I describe what I'm doing? And I thought maybe what I'm helping people do is making, help them make choices the future will be proud of. <laughs> you know what I mean? That would be an interesting way of thinking about it. And, and what I think um, uh, mitigates against that is, as you said, uh, if we're on autopilot, because um, the instructions that we would be following on autopilot aren't our own. They, we have been programmed by others. And they may have the very best in, uh, intentions. But I'll often say to people, I'll often ask people to think, look into their brains and go, look, um, everything in your mind right now didn't happen, isn't happening, and isn't going to happen. And by what that I mean is, our memories, did it really happen when I had that fight with Linda? Did, who said what with it? You know, it's like everyone laughs. You know, everyone knows that your memory is selective. Very few of us live in the present, really the present, the present moment. You've got to be a Zen master to do that. And then everything about the future is essentially guesswork. Okay. And it's, humans don't like that. So they create stories about the future. Now, often if you look into the story files of your mind, those stories that you're living... You didn't put them there, uh, and I'll often say to people, you know, who put them there, and they'll put up there and and you know, my, my my parents, yeah, for the, perhaps the very best reasons, they have an idea about what David and Linda can do. Who else? Your teachers, yeah. Who else? Politicians, absolutely. How how about uh, you know advertisers? Yeah, your your teach, you know, education system and so on and so forth. So I think that I think that for a way of thinking about our trajectory forward is that we're following a story, a storyline that, that may or may not be ours. So what I, what I try and do and I try, is two things. Is one is have people um, take a look at the stories in their mind and maybe choose the one, choose their fiction, yeah? Choose the fiction you want. Another thing though, is to create the fiction that you want to make real, which is what I call authoring the future. And, again, the sceptical people go, yeah, but there's no guarantee that this is, just, this is just make-believe. Well, show me something that isn't, you know what I mean? And, well, they'll say numbers, and the numbers aren't make... I, had, I remember I had a, a finance minister once take me aside, and he said, David, he said, the thing about numbers, and this finance minister of a major country said, the thing about numbers, he said, all numbers are either looked up or made up. And those that are looked up are made up. <laughs> In other words, you know, the things that people love to think are real and solid, you know, when you talk to people that really know numbers, they'll tell you, mm, it's more philosophical than that. So given that given that nothing's fixed, what would it be like to create the story of the future? And a lot of people think... But well, they do half of it, right? So they'll, they'll go, I want these nice things to happen to me. Oh, I did, you know, I'm going to be Beyonce and I'm going to make a bit. And, and there's that kind of, that's only half of it. Because if you look at stories, they have ups and they have downs. They have light and they have shade. So part of the art of creating a story of the future is writing the trouble in. And people, people don't initially like that. But then when you ask them, Look back in life. Where did you learn the most? Where was there most joy? Where's the most juice? And it's rarely at the top of the curve. Honestly, very often, no, none of us like to quotes go down, but very often the, thing, the turning points in the story, in your story, are the ones that show us who we are. Yeah, They are the ones and show the world who we are. And so whilst you're tempted to go, oh, my future story is just going to be a golden runway climbing up to a beautiful end and full bank account, all my own teeth, great sex life, whatever it is, the human in you goes, hmm, that is going to be really dull, right? The question is, not the what and the how, but the why. And this is this is where this is what's underneath both street wisdom and story which is is the power of intention which I'm sure you've spoken and talked a lot about on this podcast but I do think I do think in the age where we're deluged with information and options and choices we have to fire up our internal why more than ever and uh, we could talk more about that but I think I think not necessarily following an objective, but following an intention is, is, is very, very important. It's key to my book on meetings. People, people, they roll their eyes with meetings. But meeting, if I can just say, just stand for that much maligned thing, the meeting. You and I are meeting now. I think the problem is the noun, not the verb. The ability to meet... It's gorgeous, it's glorious, it's, it's the source of our human connection, it's amazing. Meetings, um, the noun, are a kind of mechanism, and for most people they're a mechanism that is life-hollowing. <laughs> One of the reasons for that is they're driven by what, not why. And when I'm working with organisations and individuals, it's like, you go into a meeting with a strong intention and an intention that is powerful, that will generate value for everyone in the room and everything changes. It's not it's not it's not the what that's the problem. It's usually the why we could talk more about that. But anyway, yeah. I can't even remember well, what the question you know, was. But
1: Well, <laughs> it just reminds me of something you said during our, our pre-call. You said um, treat the world around you like a crazy partner.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's an interesting. I think loneliness is is uh, people feel quite alone, and I think they're th- and also they they find the world around them can it can be, it can be distracting. It can be noisy. It can be threatening. It can be and for that reason, a lot of people we we fall in on ourselves, and I, I I'm. Totally recognise that in myself as well. But I think the last few years have been, a, 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 the world has demonstrated to me that if you can open up to the world around you and 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 indicate you want to play, like the world's a puppy, um, it will play back. If you love it, it'll love you back. Now, I say this with, with all due respect to people who may have had much less than lovely experiences in the world and I'm not trying to be too Pollyanna but it's an attitude which I think is worth exploring if you're you know if if you're if you've privileged enough to live somewhere where you you know the streets are relatively safe and so on is to think about the the world around you is making offers and not as something that you screen out but something you open yourself up to and and if I can say one thing is follow the distraction. You know that thing, the flirt, you know what Jung calls the flirt and the thing that's at the corner of your eye. We were told at school, do not do not be distracted. Linda you'll never become a doctor, Linda Ulrich, if you are distracted. Stay on the straight and narrow and do the do the do the list in the order that we've set it out and tick tick tick. And that's great at a certain point in our life. But I think a, I think the world we're living in calls us into the side streets. We need to learn to follow the 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 glimmer the whisper the flirt i think that's often where the the treasure lies not in the predictable uh not not in necessary down main street um does it make sense
1: ah i i love that i love that it goes it reminds me of something that you said um that how we how we are um this this particular thing that you're talking about can either lead to a distraction like the digital world can can like suck us in with that almost that same sort of principle that you're talking about, yeah. or we can choose not to. You know, you talk about this this notion of being the kind of person that says, Hey, did you see that? Yeah. And that that could be full of good things that we see on the internet or good things that we see on the street. But a lot of times we're <laughs> We get sucked into this um, this this channel of low of low energy, and I think yeah, it's, it's I, the reverse sides of the same coin that you just spoke about. Absolutely,
0: and again, if I can say that I, in myself, I notice that intention again is the key, and I am a dooms loop doom surfer or whatever you call it, doomscroller at times as well. And if if I if I am if I am intentionless, I'm a bit of a vacuum and i'm in either the street or or on the internet i can i can be i can be cha- i can be led after all on the street people are basically trying to sell you stuff there's adverts there's shops there's the streets are very transactional and people are trying to sell you stuff so you can get drawn that but it makes an all the difference in the world if you enter whether it's the internet or the street um with a strong intention and i think that to go back to street wisdom for a second, the way it works is people tune up their senses and they go for a wander, not a walk, but a wander. That's to say, a non linear, um, it's a wiggly route, yeah? But what makes it, what causes the wiggle is asking a question. So I might say, and the question, we give hints throughout the kind of question, basically don't make it too huge. Like, why is there life on earth? You know, that's, they, don't make it too small and, and, and insignificant, but go for something. Um, we often work with businesses all over the world and we'll ask them to take a business problem. Uh, the only caveat is it must have me in it. It must have you in it, uh, the person. It's not like, uh, why does company x or how will company x grow it's not that it's how can i help or w- what would it be like if i were to it needs to be perfect because we've got two legs not 1500 and so it's a personal quest as soon as you as soon as you have a question and if, one for example one i love is show david stuff he needs to know now but he doesn't yet know so in other words what is it that's in my blind spot. Well, you can't, by definition, see it. But if you ask that question, what does Linda need to know now that she doesn't realise? Yeah? Suddenly, and you let your body take you, suddenly, the distractions you talk about, it's much more like following a a paper trail, um, clues in a a treasure hunt or something. You activate your awareness, your senses and your awareness, and suddenly the distractions are meaningful. And your mind makes meaning. I often say to people, you know, um, yes, creativity is about joining the dots. But first you've got to collect the dots to join and so i think what 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 is useful for all of us as you know people that like to feel you know they want to have creative ideas is go do some dot collecting and the street is a wonderful place the outside world is a wonderful place to collect the dots to join
1: so um how i've used your your um, the street wisdom ethos or how i thought of it um, recently i was in boston at a seminar and i'm having um some questions in my mind. What should I do? What should I do about this personal problem? And do I speak up? Do I let it go? You know, when do I, you know, whatever. And I posed myself the question and then I just took a walk in downtown Boston. And um, am I thinking about this right? What happened was when when that question was constantly playing in my mind, I noticed part of a sign That had a word in it that was covered up by another sign but the word i needed to see was the part that was revealed i probably wouldn't have noticed it had i seen the whole sign and it was the word good and and it was part of a longer title and i was like oh i need to see the good in this person right now i need to stop only seeing the bad and the parts that's disappointing and Take a mental journey about what's good there. Okay, so then I'm walking down the street. I'm just giving people a real life example. I saw some cracks in the street, and they formed like a, an image in my mind. As and I, and that triggered another better way of thinking, a better question about this problem. Is this is this sort of the the way it works, you just start, you practice the art of noticing. And if you if you have a question some, a little bit of a quest on these wanders, um, it, your mind seems to be a sense making machine. And it comes upon different answers that you would never gotten to any other way. Do I, did I kind of capture that right?
0: Yeah, I mean, you describe it so well, you describe it really, really well. And, and I think that, I think that that's, as we said, you know, the question is essentially a simple way of being intentional. You went out, you didn't just go for a walk to get away from the problem, you took the problem for a walk and you start noticing things. And it's interesting to me because there are people that do street wisdom that firmly feel as though the, the message is coming from outside. They're saying, and, and, and that's great. There are others who say, no, 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 it's not, it, it, it's, it's really, and I think this is quite interesting, that actually what you're seeing is what Linda already knows, but she doesn't know she knows. So put another way, an exercise like this takes what's in your unconscious mind, puts it out there so you can see it, so you can spot it, because in our unconscious mind, it's, it's by definition not conscious. In other words... Linda noticed good because it was Linda looking. As the Tibetans say, what you're looking for is what is looking. I would see seen something different because I was looking for something different. So I'll often say to people, you didn't just walk through the street, Linda. You just walked through Linda. Everything you saw, in a way, is Linda looking out and projecting back. And what, it, it, whether you're an outside-in or an inside-out person... I could care less as long as you're getting value from street wisdom. But I, I do very much resonate with what you say. And sometimes also it's very simple things like that word. I'll give you an example. It happened to me. I'll confess now just because it's us, just us listening. Um, sometimes I may be the founder of street wisdom, but sometimes I just don't want to do that. You know, I just like, oh, no, I please. Can I just walk down the street? But I promised my 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 colleagues that that I would we would all do a street wisdom about street wisdom because we got to a point in in our development where we, we needed to think about what came next for the for the nonprofit. And I was like, uh, I was in New York, and I was like, I had to get to the airport. I was like, I don't want to do this, but I had to. So I went, oh. and I was so shirty, and I was so grumpy about doing the, the tune-ups. And I, partly I thought, it's not going to work. It's not going to work, you know. Well, blow me. I do the tune-ups and I turn my head and suddenly there's a news agent, uh, you know, a place selling magazines, and the only word I can see is Pearl, my name. It must be 70 examples of my name screaming back at me. Wake up, David, basically. It was like and I my jaw hit the floor. What had happened? It happened to be the anniversary of Pearl Harbor. And the magazines were all backed up, but all of the spines had covered the word harbour. And all that you could see was the word Pearl. And the hair stood up on the back of my head. And I thought, David, pay attention. And from then I had the most extraordinary revealing. Forty-five minutes, but I'm saying that in all humility because, um, you, you know, day to day we we relearn our skepticism and we re- and we lose the magic, which is why my book is you know it's about how to find the you know how to find the wonder in the everyday every day. How, how how are we going to do that? We need you know. So anyway, yes.
1: All right. So that was lovely because I was going to ask you about a specific. You know, I I had my own little awakening moment there. And, uh, and I was gonna ask you to, to tell us about one of yours. So that's perfect. And what I hear in your story and mine is, we're not talking about something spooky here. <laughs> we're, not, we're not getting some messages from outer space or what, however you, it's a message from inner space. It's like, you know, what you give your attention to expands. Like once we understand that, we can grow. We can, and only then, yeah. pretty much, right?
0: And I'll be honest with you. I mean, yes, that is absolutely true. I, I, you said it beautifully. In fact, I need to rewrite the book now, now you've said that. but um, And it's not spooky, but I have to say the wonder often comes from things you just cannot explain. <laughs> I mean, just, there's a series in my, there's a chapter in the book called Synchronicity with the word city, you know, it's the synchronicity of the city and what i love is when i and other people there is absolutely no way of rationalizing what happens there's no way of understanding why you bump into the perfect stranger the the professor of biology who has the answer that you, but that or or uh, you suddenly meet a friend who you haven't seen for years and that's exactly the right person and the point the reason i wrote the book is because we had thousands of inputs from people around the world who shared their stories, small and large and so on, in the sense of you know, some people have small, what they think of small things, and other people have revelatory things, but there is a, there is a, I would say there is a wonder afoot that we are not necessarily registering. And it's not just to do with, oh, if I look at that dandelion, I'll appreciate its beauty, which is absolutely true. But I think that when you allow yourself to consider that we are not disconnected. Science, and you know more about this than I do, Linda. You're a dentist. My dad was a dentist. And he he was a pretty scientific guy. And he wasn't having any of this connection thing. You are a random bag of chemicals wandering around a lonely universe for a limited period of time and that my friend is it okay fine that's your view but if you can open yourself to the idea we're more connected than we think not just with each other but with the environment well guess what interesting connections start to happen and it's my preference to think that the world is is more connected and when you do that Crazy stuff. I mean, crazy in in the best sense. Unexplainable stuff happens, and that's after all what people go to the movies for. They want to see, they want to see Hogwarts. Well, I'm telling you, people, practice street wisdom, and Hogwarts gets realer by the day.
1: It is so true. It is so true. And, you know, um, one of the things that um, I don't want us to get uh, uh, out to wind down without talking about is, is these, um, you have this great um, rap about the other people's story. You know, you don't know an, and let's see, an enemy is only someone that, that you don't know the story about, you know, back to how other people factor in our story and this, um, I, I, I want you to speak a little bit more about story for us because I believe that the stories we're telling ourselves are are creating a whole bunch of limiting beliefs that we just act on day after day after day and we don't even realize it's all made up stuff, maybe ruled by fear. And when we operate from wonder and love instead of fear, we got a whole new landscape of possibility in front of us. Yeah, I mean give us a little bit more direction about how we in our in our wanders, to pay attention to the stories we're telling ourselves.
0: I think that's you know that's really true. <coughs> I think not just listening to the words that you hear in your head, but but also the tone of voice and the voice you're hearing it. Who's telling that story? Those of you who've done neuro-linguistic programming, NLP and stuff, will be, you know, be conscious of that fact. But the first time someone said that to me, it blew my mind. I remember saying, I'm saying oh, yeah, I'm not going to remember this. And He said, how do you know that? There's a guy called Michael Breen who's my first teacher in NLP. He said, how do you know that, that you're not going to do X? I said, what do you mean? He said, how do you know? I said, well, I, uh, I think. He said, but how do you know you think? He said, well, I can hear it in my head. He went, ah can hear it in your head. Do me a favor," he said. "Say the same thing to yourself, David, but use Donald Duck's voice." <laughs> so I got my brain to speak to myself in Donald Duck's voice, and of course, I just started to laugh. Those few, those stories don't have the same grip on you if you change the voice. That's number one. The other thing. And you know, it's be careful doing this with your partner, by the way. When they say, "Oh, you know," you say, "Well, that's just a story you're telling yourself." You could get into very deep water there. But I do think story listening is is super important. Listening to other people's stories and this, and the, and the way they're limiting themselves. So the two part practice is, you know, if you're feeling bad, um, consider what story you're telling yourself, and particularly. What, how is time operating? If you're feeling bad, you're telling yourself a story where time is not serving you. You're either saying it's too late, it's too soon, you're too young, you're too old, it's going to last forever, whatever. Just changing the time component will give you some freedom. Yeah? Yeah? Just the word yet. Yeah. The word yet will change your life. You know, I can't, I, I can't be an astronaut yet. So the brain, okay, yet. And put that voice. Put Jude Clooney saying, yeah, in your voice, or whoever works for you. But the other thing is to listen, and this I've learned over time, because people always talk, want to teach them about storytelling, which I'm happy to do. But in business particularly, I've you know, encourage leaders to story listen. And that's to say, when somebody comes to you with a story that doesn't serve them, um, ask good questions. Questions which will wobble, Wobble their model because really, a story is just a model of the world, right? And this is not as hard as it sounds. Your mother, your granny used to do this when you went to your granny and you said, He's left me, I'll never live again, I'll never love again. Uh, a good granny will say, Never. Never? Really? And you'll go, well, okay, maybe not never. Ah, so not never. So people that love really love you will ask you questions that help you question the story you're telling yourself. It's very tempting to try and replace one story with another. Men do this a lot, right? Don't think this, think that. It's like, good luck with that approach. It can sometimes work. But I think that the most compassionate thing to do is listen listen lovingly to the story of the person that's telling themselves, the, the story the person is telling themselves, and then ask some questions that allow them to change some detail in the story for themselves. Then they walk away with a story that they have authored, not a story that you've imposed. Does that make sense?
1: That is a wonderful piece of advice. I could apply that this evening. <laughs> as, soon as, my, as soon as my engineer daughter gets home. Oh, yes, this is so true. Thank you so much for that little pearl, David. <laughs> I I got to tell you, um, I think we could talk on and on. Uh, we may we, we will have to make this a part one and two. Very rarely do we do <laughs> that on the goodness exchange, but I've got... I've got seven questions we didn't even get to touch, and I, I love the, the the energy, the fresh eyes that you're bringing to our daily experience because we don't have to do anything special with anything David just talked about. We just have to walk outside our door and and experience life with a, with more of our mind engaged in, in just all the questions and all the possibilities. So if we wrap up here, I want I've got two last questions. One is, I always like to ask people. You know, if this interview had been just four minutes or something, very short, um, you know, what do you really wish people knew? Like sometimes when you watch the evening news or you see the troubles that folks are carrying, um, what you, from your life experience, what do you really wish people knew? Just uh, do you ever say that to yourself? Oh, because oh, yeah. I have my thing. I really wish people knew their click was their click was a vote. So everything they're yeah. giving their attention to on the internet is just creating more of that. Um, yeah. So what, what do you think it would boil down to for you?
0: Get itchy. I think um, itchiness is the part of you that knows there's a better way and follow it. Yeah. Frustration is fuel. I don't mean that people should have frustrating lives, but, but somehow we were taught, no, 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 you should be settled and calm and everything's good. But I actually think a little bit of itchiness is really helpful. And it's the bit of you, you know, have humor with it, but, but love your itch. Um, uh, I think that's, that's. We are a protagonistic race, that's to say we we go on adventures and we pick up stones you, and we, and and I think we should be itchy with our certainties, yeah People are getting very certain at the moment, very righteous about who's right and who's wrong. but itchiness is a kind of and I'm saying this to myself as well,' it, it's, it's also being less comfortable with your certainties and be a bit more curious and just hold it a bit lighter. And I think that's the other thing I wish. Uh, we all uh, there's a wonderful guy I uh, knew called Ken Campbell who used to say this is all far too important to take seriously, and I think that's an incredibly important lesson, which is the that if you have a serious issue and we do to address, do it with lightness, not heaviness. Because when we get serious about what's serious, it, it, we get stuck. So if I've got people often talk about my light, my work has been quite light, and I think it's something I've had to find in myself. But I think there's a there's a lightness gets a bad rap, and I think it's it's what we need, especially when things are serious.
1: Wow. I'm going to think about that for the rest of the day. That's very, very, yes, that is a very, very profound mind um, switch that we can make. That we can throw that switch pretty easily. And you're right.
0: I get it from you all the time. You know, you've got a, you're about, it, my sense is, you know, this whole idea of a, a conspiracy of goodness has got a, it's, there's a little joke, there's a little mischief in there, which I think is so helpful.
1: Yeah, we got we got to look for a little lighthearted mischief in all our our trials. Um, I I tell you, this has been a lovely interview. I can't thank you enough. Um, Where where can people give us the big major places that people can find your work and what you're open to and all that?
0: Yeah, I mean, the the, the, uh, my my uh, my website's called davidpearl.net. Street streetwisdom is streetwisdom.org and i'm sure we can put some details in the, in the show notes oh yeah we're going to would urge details. people to look at is what we call the worldwide wonder which is at the i'm not sure when this uh, this episode is going to drop but it usually towards the end of september we invite uh, people that love Street Wisdom and newbies, people who want to experience it, to walk the world in 24 hours. And we have a series of events that unfold as the sun moves across the globe. And it's a lovely way of uh, being part of that uh, kind of uh, the, the community of the curious and um and to exercise our imagination so i warmly you know welcome people to, you know to to hop on as the as the wave of of wandering passes through your continent
1: ah that's great and and just so people know i am meeting with a colleague of david's um uh, with street street wisdom philip um <laughs> oh he and i have already fallen over a cliff together using words <laughs> that are <laughs> that are lovely and exciting and play on words. We will be, um, participating in that in some way. And so I I look forward to that, to that September journey together. So thank you so much, David Pearl. Remember everyone that the goodness exchange is the place where you're going to meet a thousand thought leaders doing their own thing to make the world a better place. Like David, if we just, uh, hop on there every day 4 minutes of good news a day can improve your your sense of gratitude by 12% uh, so recent science science tells us 4 minutes of of good news a day has the power to change your sense of well-being by 32%. Now, this is some serious stuff and the more we can connect with folks like David and his team that are adding so much to our lived experience, the more we can live every day with less fear and more joy. And I I can't thank you for adding your part to that goal. Okay, I hope the connections to goodness and progress that David and I have shared with you will help you through the rest of your week and you start finding all the wonderful wonder (laughs) that he and I have been talking about. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks.
0: Bye.